Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. We're here in High Five Studio this afternoon, and uh, today my guest is someone that is a very special person in my life. Um, we, we went to Israel uh, five years ago, and uh, we met on our birthright trip. We, were, we became bus buddies. We did. Yeah, we were listening to a lot of disclosure. It was great, yeah. Um, but uh, she's one of my good friends. Uh, she's here from Chicago, actually. Uh, she came up and was able to uh, become my uh, this week's guest. So I'd like to welcome Bailey Munich to the show. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Um, ben told me probably two months ago that he was launching this podcast, and I was like, please let me come on it. Like, I would love to be your guest, and I'm just so happy for you that you're putting yourself out there. And, you know, Thank you. doing all the things. That's awfully sweet of you to say. Yes, of course. Good. Um, yeah, we had a fun little day today. What do we do today? Well, I actually have my mother here with me today. She's sitting right behind the camera. She was kind mom. enough. Hi, <laughs> my mom. <laughs> she was kind enough to drive me up to Milwaukee today. We had a lovely brunch. Um, then we walked around the public market, got some hot chocolate. Got our Instagram pictures yes. ready. Yes. Yeah, that's important. Yes. That's very important. Yeah, and now we're here. Yes. Yeah, and what do we, we have... Uh, we so, are drinking Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, um, yeah, we, we weren't thinking uh, we, we wanted to drink. It's it's early afternoon. This isn't the normal time to do the show, but I uh, figured, yeah, some Dr. Pep. Some DP. Yeah. I, I got the cherry kind, though. Yeah. People that know me well know that I love Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. Mm. Made a little mess there. You know, it's become a habit. Like every time, last week we had champagne on the show. I know there is like a little cork over there. Yep, that was <laughs> probably from our cooks. Um, but I usually only the finest. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, Bailey. So you know why we're here. Yes, we're we are here. So Bailey and I have something in common. Um, it's something that is a huge part of both of our lives, but it is something that. We actually, like, uh, we recently connected, reconnected uh, over, and it's become something that we bond very closely over. Um, both of us are... We both struggle with um, a mental illness called borderline personality disorder. Um, it's pretty complex. It is oftentimes a trauma response. So it's a little different from a lot of other mental illnesses where a lot of people are genetically predisposed to, you know, develop depression, anxiety, bipolar, something like that. Um, oftentimes in borderline, people go through like a traumatic event that triggers the chemistry yeah. and therefore the illness. Um, but it's very complex. It's not defined by like one single quality. Um, I encourage all you listeners to do some research, um, but it is very... It can be very debilitating, but I'm also grateful for it because I'm I have the ability to like feel things on like a very intimate level, yeah. and that is a blessing and a curse. Because when when you feel something good, it's like the best thing in the world, and you never want that moment to end. But then, of course, on the flip side, when you're dealing with things that are you know harder or you know that that's sucks. very it's very yeah. intense. You feel yeah. everything very intensely, whether it's good or bad, and it's yeah. a blessing and a curse. Totally, yeah. So as everything Bailey just said um, hit, hits a nail on the head. Um, yeah, it, BPD is, it's, it's a lot more common than people think it is. Um, mm -hmm. Like, 
There's like three million Americans that struggle yeah. with it, I think. Right, yeah. And it's definitely like, so I was, so I, I feel like it, you know, this isn't normally exactly the topic that particularly like goes hand in hand with my show here. Um, but I feel like in, in a way it, it's something that, you know, us as individuals, like how we view love and fear are like the condition that like you and I and other, you know, like-minded people that suffer from it. Um, I feel like love and fear are especially like, it, it's, it's something that's very exasperated by, you know, this, this illness, you know, and 100%. that's why I think it's appropriate as, as a topic for the show, because even though it's not a particularly like, you know, we're artists here, we're talking no, about. I am no, don't get me wrong, I am not an artist by any means. What do you do though? What, <laughs> what do, do I do? I actually, I recently switched careers, um, so since I graduated high school, I've kind of had like a rocky college career, like in and out of a couple schools. Um, school's not really my thing. I'm not good at it. I don't like it. Isn't it? You know, it's, and it doesn't have to be. I know. And um, throughout college and high school, the way that I supported myself was I worked at bars and restaurants. Um, and I actually grew up in that industry as well. My father owned a bakery. My grandfather owned a restaurant. My mother owns a restaurant. She just opened it. A few shout months out ago. Taco yes. Vita. Shout out to Taco Vita. Yeah. If any of you Chicagoans are listening, Taco Vita is the newest hotspot in Deerfield to get your gourmet tacos by Susan Munich, my lovely mother, and Freddie Sanchez, my lovely stepfather. I love them both very much. So we, we love the 847 up in here, don't we? <laughs> yeah. um, I've done pretty much every front of the house position in a restaurant. I've been a host, I've been a server, I've been a manager. I've, done it all. I know the industry very well and I like it a lot but I kind of reached a point where I wanted to do something that I felt fulfilled and I you know felt like I was making an impact or a difference so I kind of just sat down and really thought about what makes me happy and what motivates me and what I'm passionate about and there's not a lot of like consistencies in my life. My life is very like it always has been ever since I was a young kid like nothing is consistent. Yeah. My relationships aren't consistent. School isn't consistent. Like, nothing's consistent. But animals are something that have been. I grew up with animals. I love animals. Being around them, like, just, it's amazing. Yeah. It, do it does great things for me. So I applied at every animal hospital in Chicago. I'm convinced I've literally applied everywhere. And I got two calls back. And I went to one interview, didn't get the job. And then I went to the second interview, and it was like a very rigorous interview process, and I was really nervous about it because I have no certification or education regarding animals or animal science or biology or anything like that. And here I am, a 22-year-old, trying to break into this like very competitive, very niche industry. But I go to this interview, and I'm just like completely honest with them. I, I tell them, like, they asked me, why should we give you this job? And I said... You can definitely find someone more qualified, but you're not gonna find someone more passionate. And I got Ooh, the job. Shit. That so, is that is profound. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but it is honestly for my mental health, it has been the best thing. I'm an exam room assistant. That's my official title. Um, I work with animals at an animal clinic in the West Loop in Chicago, um, and I love it. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Well. And I'm just. If like, I'm sick, yeah. I know where I'm going. I'm, <laughs> 
I feel like uh, they have what I need there, right? I don't think so. <laughs> Unless you want to get like vaccinated for rabies, we got you. I mean, shit, you never know. <laughs> I am, I am an animal. Yes, we all. Technically, we all are. Yeah. We are animals. Right. Um, well, but yeah, I love it. I've learned so much too. Well, that's awesome that you. I think that a key thing you said um, is definitely the consistency part, where like, yeah. you know. It's, for, for a lot of people, especially, like, in our age, you know, we, we constantly are, like, searching for something that we find meaning with, something that we identify with, and that can, it, it's, I found that, like, you really learn how to differentiate between something you, that you want to do professionally, that you want to find, you know, um, you want to go in a direction right. of versus something that you're interested in right. or, or something that like could got, be something yeah, on the side. Yeah. And like, I got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Like I could have a nine to five job and then volunteer at an animal shelter. But instead I have this awesome job where I'm learning everything I could have learned if I would have gone to school. Cause like a really nice thing about the veterinary industry is you technically don't need like certification. Like, yeah, you can get paid more if you get like certified to be a technician or an assistant or whatever it may be. But I feel like I have a lot of potential longevity in this mm -hmm. career and I have a lot of places I could go and a lot of different roles I can fill, a lot of yeah. different shoes I can wear. Totally. And honestly, as long as I get to like snuggle a puppy every day. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's yeah. great. That's that's like, that is medicinal right there. It is, my job that. is medicinal. And I'm so lucky <laughs> that they like took the place I work, Wesley Veterinary Care. Um, shout out. Shout out. I'm so lucky that they took this chance on me because mm -hmm. they, took a, they took a huge risk. They hired someone with no credentials to do a relatively difficult job yeah for sure and would you say do you feel like you're good at your job yes the beginning was very very difficult for me because I was learning an entire industry like I was learning so much stuff and it was so much to remember but now that I actually know what I'm doing I have like a flow and a routine and like a system and like mm -hmm. a spiel and like yeah. it's great and I know how hard that can be with especially with BPD. It's yeah. like, you know, you're constantly in a, just this endless um, kind of like internal conflict over like who you are yes. and like the sense of yourself. Like that's, yes. that's a very core symptom of, of the condition is that like, there's such a gray area over like what you really, like really truly identify yourself doing. Right. And I, I know that I struggled with that a lot too. Like, I, growing up, like, I didn't feel like I was good at anything. I never had, like, I never played sports ever, so I was not athletic. I'm uh, looking at my mom because I'm the same exact oh way. I, I was never good at anything growing yeah, up. I, I didn't play sports. I, like, didn't do, I didn't do I anything. I tried band but hated it. Same. I played the trumpet. <laughs> I was a clarinet and saxophone. I... Uh, wasn't like you know I just didn't want to do anything I just yeah, hated everything I know like I like and I didn't even like excel in my classes that much I didn't try that hard in high school no, like really. academically I there was like I felt like until I got to high school like all I really truly liked to do was just be by myself play video games and you know like that was it I like I had very 
little to no outlet at all. Mm -hmm. But then, like, there was one thing that I identified with consistently that is something that to this day, and you'll see case in point, I'm still doing it, is I just love broadcasting and yeah. telling stories and doing journalism. Well, you're great at it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, the thing is, it's like that's, that's all I've had to be good at is to literally like so I, I took just, like talk to people yeah like that's such a lost skill like people don't know how to talk to each other right. and that drives me crazy because I feel like I'm a very like personable outgoing easy to talk to person and I'll have these conversations or try to have these conversations with people like while I'm out or wherever and they just yeah. like don't know how to interact with another person because they're so preoccupied with like social this. media or yeah. whatever yeah totally and it's sad I know it's yeah I mean like I, I fuck with social media heavy. Like I'm very Me active too. on I it. Love it stuff. I love it, but it it's a real pain in the neck when it it tarnishes the interpersonal relationship. Right. That you it's could all about have finding balance. Somebody. Yeah. Balance it. I found that like everything needs to be balanced. Yeah. So, so like that was kind of similar to you. Like for you, it was animals. For me, it was the broadcasting, the journalism, right. and that became what I, I started doing in, in high school just to try it out initially, but then I found I was good at it. I enjoyed it. I, everything else like was, I escaped everything else from like the outside world when I was just in like my high school's, um, like, uh, broadcasting studio. Like the news. Yeah. <laughs> shout out VTV. <laughs> shout out WHFH, Holman Flossmore High School. Um, yeah, and we were very fortunate to have a really great program, and that is what I found that, you know, I want to do and that I like doing, so that's what yeah. I came to school to UWM for. And, you know, now I'm here still doing it, and it's, like, it's crazy because, like, you can... It goes back to saying, like, you know, you can have things that you're interested in, but what are you, like, really meant to do? And that is something that... Like, especially, like, like we said, like, with BPD, it's really hard to maintain that sense of yourself and yeah. find that kind of niche where you feel you're actually comfortable and stable because it is not easy to find. I feel like with BPD, I can't maintain anything. Like, yeah. I can't maintain shit. Dude, yeah. <laughs> um, so I can't keep my room clean. <laughs> like, yeah. For me, but. it's like, yeah. For me, like... A big thing about BPD, and this shit is this shit is so wild. Like you just you go zero to one hundred so quick. So quick. <laughs> uh, literally, I can. So like a big, like defining characteristic for BPD is like inability to stabilize your mood. So people with bipolar can go like days at a time feeling like depressed or feeling manic. People with BPD can be depressed and manic within the same hour. Yeah. And that is like it's fluctuating. Constantly. It's terrible. And that's a key difference between bipolar and BPD. That's because, what I'm saying, yeah. Because there's a lot of people get misdiagnosed as bipolar when they're, when actually, they're actually BPD. BPD. Exactly, like, yeah. Um, like, with, when you're bipolar, it's a chemical imbalance. Right. And, yeah, the, the, the cycles last a lot longer, typically. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that there's differences with that, too. But with BPD, yeah, it's constant internal and external factors right. that make you, like fluctuate through your emotions like yeah. so quickly like yeah. having bpd it's so hard to maintain anything and have longevity in anything and that's why i crave consistency so much and it's led to problems like with like men for me because like i crave just like having like someone there and i've in the past i've settled and i was in a terrible relationship yeah. 
that really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. But we were, I'm not even going to talk about it because it's not even worth my time. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Burn. Shit. Take that. I hope you're watching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my mom just said true. <laughs> it'd be like that. It'd no, be like that it sometimes. It'd be like that, yeah. Well, yeah, like, I feel like the best way, like, I can describe UPD to people that just need a really quick but concise like, understanding of it is that people with BPD have a very hard time regulating their emotions, finding security both with within themselves and and with their surroundings. And like there's um, there's just a constant fear, there's like a constant presumption that we will be abandoned. Yes, I'm the abandonment, the fear of abandonment is one of the, the strongest, oh my God. yeah, it's something that, I mean, like, I, like, myself, like, I constantly battle it every single day, constantly feeling that there is some kind of, like, driving, governing force in the world that is out to get me, that there are people that, you know, I'm friends with, or family even, are talking about me, plotting it, to, plotting to get me, that everyone is working to basically work against me. Me too. Like, it is something that despite you can have all the evidence in the world handed to you on a silver platter that that is not the case, your mind will still keep tricking you into believing that there is something you are doing wrong and that you are going to be, like, you know, that these people are not going to stick around you because of some reason. Yes, and I, like... I am so blessed to have the support system that I do. Like, my parents, both of them, have been amazing. Like, so supportive. Have given me the opportunity to get, like, seek professional help on several occasions. And, like, they would do anything to make sure Mm -hmm. I was okay. And then, like, I have, like, three really good friends. Like, I'm not the kind of person that has a bunch of, like, fake friends, like, acquaintances, like, that we go out and party and pretend to be best friends and, like, take Instagrams and stuff, like, whatever. (laughs) Like, I have, like... A few really, really close friends that I know I can count on, and I know that love me, and I love them to death, and I just, I love them very much, and I'm very grateful to have mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and that's kind of important, is to just have that close inner circle of people that you can trust. And right. even, like, even, like, you know, this fear of abandonment can make it hard to trust them at, at one point or another, but at least it's, like, it's easier to find security and that kind of that validation that, you know, they are your friends. Like, it's easier to just keep, like, a small amount of people, like, I, like, can't circle. keep up, like, with that many friends. Like, yeah. I just, like, I don't have the, like, energy. See, I, like, I mean, I have, like, a really wide circle of friends, and I feel like I, it's kind of like a compulsive thing for me, is that, like, I do my best to keep up with every single one of my right. friends and it can be really fucking challenging because no and i'm like you are so good about like our relationship maintenance because like i suck sometimes and like i'm you the first do not suck to believe sometimes. <laughs> no no it's see here's that here's that reassurance we're giving each no, other right now don't. <laughs> we should not enable each other no um no it's well the thing is it's like i it makes me feel good um about myself to check in with a friend and to, yeah. you know, to have that maintenance because it gives me like that, that, um, sort of like immediate slash like 
that temporary like validation that everything in my world is okay and at yeah. peace right now. See, like sometimes like maintaining friendships with BPD is like one of the hardest things that I have to deal with like with this disease because just like one of my really good friends, she's like a social work major and she's like very helpful and intuitive and always has good advice to offer. And then I have other friends and they just like they don't get it and I can't like be yeah. mad at them not for not getting it. And I feel like sometimes I can be like overreactive, but um, it's something I'm working on mm -hmm. because like something I need to recognize is that like my like reactions to most things that happens in life are like abnormal yeah. and I need to realize, you know, like other people live their lives in the more mainstream way. Yeah. And I mean like, and that's fine. I have no problem. Like when I first got diagnosed, I was like, fuck no, I don't have BPD. Yeah. Like, I, said, I did the up. same exact thing. And now, and then like the more I learned about it and the more like this whole year, like I have learned so much about myself this year and like have become so comfortable in my own skin and like with who I am, like, I stop giving a fuck what other people think, like, the people that want to be around me will be around me, and people yeah. that don't, like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I just don't care. Yeah, and it's also, like, and, like, having BPD is also, like, it makes you just hypersensitive to everything. Hypersensitive to everything, And, like, yes. you can read into, pe you can read people super, yes. super fucking well. That was something that when I first started my job at work, I had a hard time with, because I felt like... I was the new person, I was such an outsider, and I could feel that energy coming yeah. from everyone else. Like, I'm really good at reading other people's oh, energies. Oh, totally. You're, it's like, we're hyper-empathetic. Like, yeah. I, and it's something that, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, because it helps me have that empathy to understand, like, where someone else is coming from, or, like, validating their feelings. Right. Like, that's where it helps, but it's also a curse, because it makes you compromise your own like, in order to accommodate someone else. Right. And, or, like... Part of BPD is, like, kind yeah. of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Like, we need to do things to make ourselves feel good so we can, like, feel motivated to, like, do daily life, like, activities. Yeah. But at least that's my experience. Totally, yeah. I don't know if you can relate to that. Oh, I... Absolutely. Like, I... Um... It, and like I said earlier, like, it makes me feel content to, you know to make others feel validated right. make others feel like they're being accepted because you know that's what makes me feel accepted right. and validated right um, and i'm glad that i'm finally at a place with my illness where i can like talk about it and potentially help other people because like me and ben were talking about this earlier like if this show was happening a few months ago like there's no way i could sit here yeah, and talk about it for sure no way but that's, like, another thing with BPD. You can go, like, months at a time being, like, so good. Yeah. Like, I'm in such a great place right now, and I'm just, like, knock on every type of wood there is that it may, I can maintain this for a while. But it's, like, it's scary because you always have that, that, like, that doubt in the back of your mind that, like, one day something could, like, switch. But that's why, like, mm -hmm. taking care of yourself, like, self-care is so important with this disease because you, like, need support. Like, you cannot do this on your own. Right, yeah. And, like, I found support, like, obviously through my therapist and my doctors, but also there's tons of Instagram pages, like, mm. about BPD, like, run by people who have BPD. We and, got like, BPD memes. Yes, there are BPD memes, and they're so funny. Sometimes I'll show them to my, like, neurotypical yeah. friends, and they'll be like, that's, like, weird, and I'll be like, you just don't get it. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. I'm going to start sending you memes. Can you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, because I know that it'll be, like, a cosmic kind of thing. No, we'll like, my it. friends, I'll show it to them, and we'll be like, what the yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, like, all that makes 100% sense. Yeah. Um, 
So if you don't mind sharing, just, I mean, obviously what you are comfortable sharing for the show, um, I guess your journey with it, like how, like, you know, how did it manifest in your life growing up before you knew that you had it versus, you know, when you were diagnosed and then how it, how you continue to live knowing that it, that you suffered from it? Okay. Yeah. I have no problem answering that. Nice. So, um, I'd say the biggest, like characteristic that manifest that was manifested in my upbringing was definitely instability in relationships um when I was growing up I had like one really really good friend and then like I just wasn't able to maintain other relationships for whatever reason like I I was very young I couldn't tell you why but Mm -hmm. um like I said at the beginning of the show BPD is not um it's not a genetics thing it's a trauma response so you like you don't just spontaneously develop BPD so for me like the 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 straw that broke the camel's back like I definitely possessed characteristics of BPD before I was officially diagnosed but I think the straw that broke the camel's back like I really briefly mentioned and I don't want to talk about a lot is this really toxic relationship I was in um it just love and fear like yes like I have never experienced love so like intensely in my life and like fear at the same time like whether that was fear of like him abandoning me or fear like I'm not gonna get into it but like there was a lot of there was a lot of that um so um the demise of our relationship ended with me going to residential treatment for the first time um my I was lucky enough to have um, parents who were willing to intervene in my life in places that were not comfortable for them um but they did it for my like for my own well-being. And I ended up in residential treatment for about a month. I was in Mississippi where I actually made like some great friends. I made I met some of like the coolest people I've met to this day mm-hmm. that I still keep in touch with and yeah. they're like a great support to have too. And then I decided, you know, I probably shouldn't move back to Chicago right away just because that person is in Chicago and I didn't want to risk falling back into old patterns. So mm-hmm. I decided um, to move to Austin, Texas. And I was there for maybe nine months before um, I just, I, I could not get myself, like, in check. Like, I was in a new city, and the problem was, like, my thought process initially was, like, new city, new me, I can recreate myself. But on the same hand, like, new city, new me, no one to hold me accountable, no one knows me, I can do whatever the fuck I want, no one knows me here, I can do what I want, like, no one's holding me accountable, my parents aren't here, like... It was overwhelming. I moved to Austin by myself, like, with nothing, like, my, like I said, my parents have been amazing, and, like, we're able to find, like, finance my move and everything, but, like, I don't know, it's just, looking back at it, I should have, like, I probably should have been somewhere where I could have been held accountable, (laughs) just because that ended with me going to treatment a second time. Um, First time was involuntary, second time was voluntary. Um, so I did a different program this time that I thought was a little bit more beneficial and then um, after that, so that was in Tennessee. <laughs> so I went Mississippi, Texas, Tennessee. Unless you're traveling to different parts of the country. I know, I've been on, I call them extended vacations. <laughs> Ain't no lie. Um, 
Yes, I call them my extended vacations. Um, but the second time was much more helpful. It was more geared toward BPD. The first place I went to was more of like a substance abuse place. And like, while I probably have some substance abuse issues, that's not my primary well, issue. And substance abuse is very comorbid with BPD very, a lot too. Yes. It's kind of that immediate validation it's like requirement. The, yeah. yeah, and I mean like, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm sober because I'm not. Like, yeah. I, I'm not. I, yeah, like, um. I think that marijuana can do wonderful things with people that yeah. struggle with mental health issues. I know for me, I use it medicinally and recreationally, um, but I mean, it just helps stabilize my mood. It helps me rationalize my thoughts. It helps me unwind. It helps me just like chill and just like find like a baseline because yeah. with BPD, you don't have a baseline, Right. Yeah. but like smoking just- You have to kind of create your own baseline. Then that's how, and marijuana helps me do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. And like, I mean, for me, it's like, so I don't smoke weed, but I also, but you know, I, I just, I love alcohol. See, I hate alcohol. <laughs> I, I love beer. Oh. I, I love just having a drink, like at the end of the day, like hanging out, like unwinding it. It's something that Obviously, I need to keep in check. I need to moderate myself, but I don't really see myself, at least right now in my life, um, it like it's never been so much of a validation thing. I've been looking toward to it for. I haven't ever like you know been out of control with my alcohol usage. Like there's been times where like I've gotten really drunk because like you know something happened and I want to feel better. Like that has definitely happened before. Yeah, but. It's like, but, you know, there's days I don't drink. Usually when I do drink, I don't get, like, super, super belligerently drunk. Like, if I, like, getting getting drunk for me, honestly, is, like, a very, like, once in a while kind of thing. It's like, like a novelty. Like a, yeah, like a special occasion. <laughs> yeah. Like. I don't enjoy being drunk. I just, like, I get, like, violently ill. I know that's gross, but I just, like, I, like, can't keep my liquor down. Like, I just throw up. Yeah. So... Yeah, and like, and everyone, it's different for everybody. Yeah, though I just stick, I stick to my weed. I don't really do any other. And your dad. And my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can relate a lot to um, growing up. I. So like when I was younger, um, I also had had definitely exhibited symptoms of it growing up too. There was no particular. I don't feel like there was one particular trauma that I experienced when I was younger. It was like a culmination. Yeah, of it was like I always had, and this is something I talked to my mom about a lot. I have I had a lot of very unusual, like abnormal phobias of things when I was little. I was very <laughs> sorry. Me and my mom just look at each other again. Yeah, so did I. No, like for one, like I'll tell you, when I was five years old, I was fucking terrified of like severe weather. And, like, I... So was I. Like, like whenever there was, like, a tornado warning, I was like, we have to go in the No, basement. I know. <laughs> but even when it would start raining, like, when I would be at school, like, that would trigger me. And, like, I would start freaking out if I was at school and I'd, like, want my mom to come pick me up. Like, she can, she, she can fucking remember, like, when I was, like, in kindergarten, like, I would be hysterical when it would start raining. Um, but it's, like, little <laughs> things like that. Yeah, no, so, like, I always had some really weird, like, fears, and I was very sensitive, I would cry all the time, like, I would, I would just get really, really easily upset when I was little, and then, like, growing up, I was, I kind of went in and out of introversion, like, I would really, really value my time to myself, but 
at the same time, it's like when I was with people, I would really like, like I would value my time with people very, very much. And almost like kind of like an, I needed to be around people like all the time, like mm -hmm. around, like I really started making like actual friends around like middle school, like seventh, seventh, eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to be out and like with them all the time mm -hmm. in order to like have that security with myself, right. which I feel like is also just kind of in general common around that age. But, yeah. but then like in high school, like my emotional instability started really kicking in. Like I had horrible anger management episodes. I, there was, there was one point when I was like 15 when like I wanted to go out um, at night, like I wanted to take the car out and I was like borrowing my mom's car. But you were 15? Uh, 16. Oh, this okay. is 16, sorry. Thank you. Yeah. When I was 16, I wanted to take the car out. I had just got my license. And she, did, she didn't let me go out because it was too late. And I got so angry, so uncontrollably like enraged that I flipped a table. Oh, no. And... Did anyone get hurt? No one got hurt. Okay. No. This was... No, this was... Uh, um, it was... My parents were out of range, but... It was, no, it's, it's honestly like, holy shit, I actually did that. But, like, but, and that was just among the tantrums right. I used to have. Like, I used to, like, f absolutely freak out, like, at the littlest thing. I got, one time I flipped out because, like, my dad ate my chips. <laughs> like, and I absolutely went in this complete fucking, like, fiasco, like, yeah. like, episode. And at that point, like, it was around that point when my mom first said, there's something not right with you. Like, something is up with you, like, you should, like, you need to be, like, in therapy, and I, of course, my, my 15, 16 year old self was like, no, fuck that, like, I don't need help, but then, I obviously needed fucking help, <laughs> so then, like, and, like, um, and I went, like, through periods of, like, where, like, I lost friends because of how yeah. bad I was, like, with, yeah. like, a lot of these behaviors and like, just emotional problems that I had, like, I would act out on my friends, and it caused me to damage relationships. Like, when I was, like, 18, 19, like, that's when, like, my anxiety problems started getting yeah. really bad. I remember in Israel, you were, like, anxious a good amount of the time. Um, yeah. But actually, right after Israel was when I was first diagnosed with, like, depression and anxiety. Yeah. Like, I went away to college, and I did the whole, like, I... The college was, like, a lot of the big... Like, I feel like that's where it really starts manifesting in a lot of people. It did. So, like, obviously I struggled up until I was 18. But it wasn't until I was 18 where I was diagnosed. So what happened was, right after high school, I decided to go to the University of Kentucky because I wanted to be, like, a sorority girl. Yeah. And now I'm, like, covered in tattoos and, right. like, yeah. not about that. Now but you're this total rocker. Now I'm just this badass. <laughs> this badass vet. <laughs> this badass vet assistant. Um, but, um... I actually ended up joining a sorority and met some really cool people through it at UIC, but that will come later. But I, so anyway, I went to the University of Kentucky right after high school, basically had like a psychotic episode where I blacked out. The next thing I knew, my mom and my grandma like had driven from Chicago to Kentucky to come pick me up. We packed up all my shit in within like two hours. We were out of there. My mom is, a, she was a champ. And she drove me yeah. all the way back to Chicago, and the first thing, the next day, 
I was in like an intensive outpatient program. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was finally diagnosed. That's where I was finally put on medication. And that was when it, the first time it was like professionally addressed. Yeah. Like medically addressed. Because mm -hmm. it's a medical issue. As oh, much totally. as people want to deny it, it's a medical condition. Yeah. And I don't think it's recognized as much as it should be as far as like disability goes and all that stuff. Because there was also a period of time where I was out of work for like months because I could not get my mental health in check. And I was just bouncing from job to job to job and like disability recognizes mental health, but like not it's not, not, not to the extent that it yeah. should be. And honestly, like my employer now, like I very recently opened up to them about my BPD and they could not be more understanding. Yeah. They are willing to make like whatever accommodations I need. And I'm like so grateful for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I got so lucky with my yeah. job. I didn't get diagnosed until I was 21. Um, I was in the hospital. It was actually right around this time two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, up to that point, like, I was just experiencing, like, just really, really just bad anxiety. And, like, like I also have OCD. And, like, my intrusive, yeah, my, the intrusive, like, intense obsessive thoughts were just dominating my life. But right. they were also, it's like, the thoughts were the OCD and the anxiety, but the emotions and the, like, the emotions and behavior was more of, like, the BPD. Right. And it, it was, like, they were making me so, like, these thoughts were making me so afraid that, like, you know, I was freaking myself out that, like, you know, that I was, like, crazy or, like, going insane and that, yeah. like, everyone was going to abandon me because, like, I, like, you know, because, like, I, I, I'm horrible or whatever reason. And... Um, so then I, um, I voluntarily checked myself into, uh, the behavioral medicine clinic at Columbia St. Mary's down the street and I was in there for four days and uh, that was like the, probably the single greatest thing I've ever done in my entire life, yeah. at least up to that point. That's so brave, like, because voluntarily I, yeah. admitting yourself is so so difficult because yeah. you're used to like you're stuck in your ways and you're used to your ways and a lot of people with our condition like they want to change but they don't have the motivation or the tools yeah. to do so and i think it takes a certain like rock bottom that you hit to finally be like yeah. fuck like, like i, I couldn't know. leave my house at that point like yeah, i yeah. could not i couldn't sleep without waking up like into a panic attack like it was it was like the absolute worst point i had ever been in at that point and like but Doing that made my whole, it, it was the treatment I needed all along, but I was just denying it to myself because I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to address that there was some, like, overarching big picture, like, that was, that ran a lot deeper than simply just, like, me being anxious, you know? Right. Which is, at that point, that was yeah. all I was giving myself. I and, convinced myself that I had Guillain-Barre syndrome. That I convinced myself I was... I had schizophrenia. Yeah, no, like, that, it's scary, like, you can be so consumed by your thoughts and, like, actually believe them, like, I told my psychiatrist, I'm like, you don't understand, I don't have anxiety, I have Guillain-Barre syndrome, like, yeah. or I have hypothyroidism or something yeah. else, because I would, like, Google all my symptoms, and I didn't want to admit that, like, this was a mental thing. One time I had, like, a weird feeling in my arm, and I'm like, I'm having a stroke. 
Dude, I call my dad. Dad, I know you're going to be watching this. I called my dad maybe two months ago in the middle of the night because, like, half of my body was just, like, tingling, which is, a, like, some people have, like, physical symptoms of yeah. anxiety and, like, disassociate or whatever. Yeah, I have, like, actual sure. sensations. And I told him, I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. I'm having a stroke. And he, yeah. I'm very lucky to have him. He talked me through it. And I, in fact, did not have a stroke. Right. But good. Good. <laughs> I... I used to struggle a lot with, um, I used to dissociate a lot. Yeah, like, I still dissociate yeah, a good like I would fun. get depersonalized or experience derealization a lot. And I didn't realize that, like, that, your brain doing that is a kind of like, it's like a, um, react, it's like a response to feeling like you're, like, overstimulated or feel like you don't know how to, like, your, your mind does not consciously know how to respond to a situation you feel anxious about or depressed yeah. so it so just goes numb. numb yeah nothing yeah so you just everything like the way i explain disassociating people is like it's literally like having an out-of-body experience it's like i'm yeah. watching myself and like i have no control over my thoughts or my emotions yeah. or anything and it's terrifying like the yeah. first few times i disassociated i like thought i was having a heart attack there was the first time i ever had a panic attack me and my mom were at Target. I was probably, I was in eighth grade. It was a summer going into my freshman year of high school. I will never forget this. We were at Target at Highland Park, Illinois. And all of a sudden, I'm pushing the cart, and I stop. I grab my mom. I'm like, I'm dying right now. Like, I literally yeah. thought I was having a heart attack. And she drove me to Highland Park Hospital. We sat in the waiting room for, like, an hour until I was finally able to get myself to calm down. And that's, that's when we think I had my first panic attack. And that was way before any of my mental health was addressed. So, I mean, it just goes to show, like, it is so important to address these things, like, no matter your age or, like, whatever it may be. Like, if you are having symptoms of anxiety or depression or any sort of abnormal mental symptom, like, get help. Why suffer? Why suffer when there are things and resources out there mm -hmm. to help you? And, like, I've had this conversation with, like, plenty of people that I've met along the way yeah. who just, like, don't do anything about it. And it just, like... It really hurts me because I feel so lucky to have taken advantage of these resources that I am so blessed to have access to. Um, and I just wish I would have done it sooner yeah. because I think my life would have been way different. Not that I would change a single thing about my life now because I am the happiest I've been in a very long yeah. time. Ditto. And like honestly, everything that's happened in my life has led up to this moment right here. Mm -hmm. And there's nowhere else I'd rather be yeah. than like I am so right happy. Here here. Right here in High Five Studio. Right here in High Five Studio with Dr. Pepper. Yeah. I'm so just happy. As we're like, you know, we are kind of running out of time. Um, how? Yeah. So that kind of like everything you just said kind of sort of answers the question I was going to ask, which was like, how are you continuing to grow with it, and how is it? How are you? kind of flipping it over like over its head and making yourself content like you know given your you know your patterns and your behavioral like yeah um the, the biggest thing is i'm compliant with my medications um i take them regularly at the same time every day i don't abuse them i abused my medications in the past but i no longer do that mm -hmm. so i'm compliant with my medications i am um very like adamant about seeing my therapist every week yeah. um i reach out to my support systems i'm honest i'm open um and i just i take it day by day yeah that's the best thing you can yeah. do yeah i like there will i like you kind of come to terms over time that 
there are some thoughts or some mantras in your mind that, you know, will never fully go away because of, you know, the way... It's like a... It's a personality disorder, so yeah. you can't, like, fix... Well, no, we're never going to be... You cured. can't fix... No. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're going to be crazy forever. I know, right. <laughs> well, you can't fix the disorder if it's a personality disorder, You, but you can you can treat the symptoms of it. Exactly. You can manage the symptoms, yeah. and it's a very manageable disease if you utilize the resources. Yeah. That's the biggest problem is people are not utilizing the resources. And you need to learn what your triggers are. You need to learn... Yeah, you need to know yourself. Yeah. Like, having BPD, like, you're... <laughs> Don't learn yeah. about yourself very, very quickly. Yeah. You're going to know yourself very well. Still am. No, um, I learn more am. about myself every day. Yeah, and, like, it's, I'm, I have grown that, like, especially this past year, like, as I've, like, there's been friends that, you know, I've kind of drifted away from people that, you know, I don't talk to as much as I used to. There's, like, and initially, like, my BPD will tell me, and my anxiety, will tell me that, like, it's something that I did, there's something wrong with me, that, like, people are, like, not talking to me anymore, or not, fact don't want to be around me. That's what I have to tell you, fact check, check the facts. Well, that's, that's check exactly it. I was getting to that, like, where, like, I, it, of course my mental health issues are telling me that, you know, there's something wrong with me, but, fact check, check. and you'll find that it's really not always you it usually for the most part it often isn't you it's just you being trapped in your head and also like are those really people you need slash want in your life anyway if they're not going to you know treat you with respect given who you are right. for what you are and, and like continue to accept you and yeah, support you regardless totally and that is something that like you it's you kind of learn to find look for validation in, in the right things Healthy because knowledge. you, yeah, because like for the longest time, and I'm sure, you know, you can relate a hundred percent is that we look for validation in a lot of the wrong things oh, like yeah. for like, as we grow up and as we like, you know, deal with the pressures of everything that's around us. But you learn a lot about what to truly like look for validation into and that's something that I've definitely had to learn how to do is like, yeah. you know, I'm not in school anymore and I'm like just kind of figuring that out like what I'm doing with yeah. my life and, and you know, that, that was hard. And for a while, like I was kind of in a slump, like after school, but then like you kind of grow to like sort of start creating your own things that you know that are not in your control versus things that are in your control. Right. And what is in your control is how you respond to the adversities that you both actually yes. are faced with and the ones that you imagine yes. in your head. Because we're yes. really good at imagining oh, yeah. that shit. <laughs> the, the perfect way to wrap this up is I'm not a religious person at all. I'm like the least religious yeah. person ever. Spiritual, cultural, religious, totally. no. Yeah. However, the serenity prayer, do you know the serenity prayer? I don't know the serenity prayer. I know it. Hold on. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Boom. That's what I live by. All right, oh. as we're closing out. Hi. So, Bailey, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Hmm. Sorry, give me a second. Take your time. Um, my dreams, my ambitions, my goals, those are what keeps me up at night. Um, just thinking about them, mostly wishful thinking, is what keeps me up at night. Well, you, you gotta 
dream it into existence. <laughs> dream it and do it. Yeah, and then what puts you to sleep? What puts me to sleep is knowing that I have an amazing group of people that love me and support me no matter what, including this guy right here. Oh my God, you know, I just do what I can. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. I had a lot of fun talking about our 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 heads. Our common yeah. bond. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, again. This was obviously a, a little different take on the show, but I think th I was I think that it fit really well into Love and Fear. And with that, we'll see you next week.